Today on Understanding Immigration, student visas. Just this past year, the FBI, this is in July actually, the FBI interviewed Chinese visa holders suspected of hiding their Chinese military memberships in 25 major American cities. And experts call this the largest crackdown in 40 years. Why are we essentially educating the next generation of our major geopolitical rivals? This program needs to end. Plain and simple, there's no two ways about it. It's almost criminally unfair to new graduates, and obviously it's a massive incentive for companies to hire foreigners over Americans. Coming to you from Washington, D.C., you are now listening to FAIR's Understanding Immigration Podcast. Hello and welcome back to FAIR's Understanding Immigration Podcast. This is Matthew Tregesser from FAIR's Media Department. And today I'm joined as always by Spencer Raley, FAIR's Director of Research, and by Preston Hennigans from our Lobbying Department. Today we will be discussing the impact of international student visas on the country. We'll be touching on the F-1 visa, the Optional Practical Training Program, also known as the OPT Program, and how these programs can raise national security and economic concerns. But before we explore this topic, let's all briefly discuss the major immigration-related news headlines from the week. I think we can all agree that the major headline uh, was President Trump nominating Amy Coney Barrett to the Supreme Court of the United States. Fair doesn't make official endorsements, but I think it's important to discuss how she can impact the immigration issue. And I know she's previously worked on some major immigration cases, including those involving public charge. So what do you guys make of ACB, you know, her track record and perhaps some immigration areas she may focus on while in this seat? You know, one of the most interesting things about her is that, you know, the majority of her career, she was a law professor. She actually has only been in the circuit court since 2017. So it, you know, she really doesn't have this long list of opinions that she's written that we can look to. She's really only had a handful Mm -hmm. of cases that deal with immigration. So You know, while I think a lot of people are certainly excited about her nomination, particularly on the right, from an immigration standpoint, we really don't know what we're getting. You know, she she got like you said, Matthew, she did write a pretty interesting dissent in the Cook County, Illinois public charge ruling. But, you know, aside from that, she really hasn't touched on immigration a whole lot. Right. Yeah, I I kind of agree with what Preston's saying there. I, I have not seen anything from Amy Comey Barrett that would suggest that she would be hostile on the issue or promote an open borders policy. But like Preston said, she's only got a few years of experience as a judge. Most of her experience has been as a law professor. Now, mm-hmm. of course, that doesn't that doesn't in any way disqualify a person to be on the high court. We've had judges come on with a very little, if almost no experience in the past, it can just make it a little bit difficult to fully judge their, uh, you know, what their leanings may be on issues such as immigration. However, again, I would, I would say that there is, there's no evidence that I've found that would suggest that she would promote anything other than a, a law and order, you know, approach to immigration. Right. And that's all that we can hope for. You know, it'll be very exciting to see what she can do. And Fair will be tracking a lot of her actions and her involvement revolving around immigration. Changing gears a little bit before we dive into our uh, student visa topic, I want to talk about, you know, this first presidential debate. There was definitely a lot to take away from there. But I think it's important for listeners to realize that there was little to no mention of the immigration issue at all. This wasn't an elected topic by moderator Chris Wallace. President Trump and Joe Biden didn't really bridge any of the responses to the issue. And so, 
you know, my question for you guys is what's going on here? Why wasn't the media focusing on this and why weren't the candidates really bring it, bringing the issue up? I mean, in 2016, this was a core, core issue for voters and, you know, in these debates. Yeah, it, overall, uh, <laughs> I think everyone would agree that this uh, that this last debate was a little lighter on policy than what everyone <laughs> would have hoped for. <laughs> However, we've got another debate coming up here very soon. So I think it's very important for voters to make it clear that they want to hear about the immigration issue, especially considering that, you know, Vice President Biden has a very long and detailed immigration platform and he has some pretty major changes that he wants to implement. Mm -hmm. Fair actually took a look at some of these changes in one of our recent studies and found that you know, over the course of the coming years and decades, if he implement all the policies that he wants to implement, you know, you could see as many as 50 million new immigrants coming to the United States. And it would be it's, it's really important that he explains to the American people how that would work and, you know, whether or not he expects that to cost Americans jobs. And I think it's important as well to hear from President Trump about, you know, what does he feel like he's accomplished why is he falling short, you know, in some areas that he, you know, that he's promised to approach? And how does he expect to protect Americans' jobs in the middle of a pandemic while at the same time seemingly appearing to cave to some of the demands of big businesses? So, you know, there's a lot on the immigration topic that we need to hear about as American mm -hmm. citizens, you know, and is as you mentioned, Matthew, it was a major issue in 2016. There's little that has occurred to suggest it's not a major issue today. So it'd be really great if we could get some questions about immigration in the coming debate. Yeah, and, and Spencer, you brought up a great point, harking back to the 2016 election where Donald Trump did make so much of his campaign about immigration. And Hillary Clinton really didn't have a plan the way that Joe Biden does. Like you said, he, you know, he has a very detailed policy proposal for immigration that is completely different from Trump's, whereas Hillary Clinton in 2016 more or less didn't really have anything aside from kind of the standard, you know, oh, we're going to do right by the people that are here. And, and that was pretty much it. Whereas Trump and Joe Biden, you everyone, I think, clearly understands where they fall on the issue. But we haven't had a chance. Um, we certainly didn't have a chance to hear about it during the first debate. It'll be interesting in the vice presidential debate to see if that comes up um, with uh, especially Senator Kamal Harris uh, being on the Judiciary Committee and deals with the issue of immigration uh, as a part of her job as a senator. So it'll be interesting to see if her and Vice President Pence touch on that. But if they don't, you know, we certainly hope that in the second presidential debate that both uh, President Trump and uh, Joe Biden will have an opportunity to um, explain to the American people their visions for immigration. Yeah, I'm really curious to see what happens with these uh, upcoming debates. And hopefully that's something that they, they can tackle and address, because as both of you have said, it's super important for our country to know these these proposals and you know, kind of answers to things that have not been accomplished yet. So. Great discussion as always. Now let's dive in into the main topic of the day, which is the, or which are the international student visas. Preston, I want to start off right with you. The F1 visa is a very popular program. It has become a very popular program and it's tied to international student uh, visas. You know, can you just describe what this program is and how it became so popular? Yeah, absolutely. So the F1 visa is just the standard 
ordinary visa that international students use to study in the United States. Uh, it's a temporary non-immigrant visa, meaning that F1 students can't pursue citizenship from that visa alone. They would have to be either sponsored by an employer or marry someone, something like that. But they, you know, they can't become American citizens just from being a student in the United mm -hmm. States. And, you know, foreign students have been a part of America's immigration history um, since the 18th century. Uh, and even interestingly, uh, the Chinese Exclusion Act, probably one of the most racist pieces of federal legislation we've ever had, actually exempted students from China, which is kind of interesting. Mm. Um, and they also, international students were also exempt from national quotas that were put in place um, after the 1924 National Origins Act. But the, the F-1 visa that we know today came out of the 1952 Immigration and Nationality Act. And uh, the F-1 visa is, it's pretty much available to anyone who's, you know, pursuing curriculum-based uh, non-vocational education. So that applies to, you know, high school exchange students, international college students, uh, and foreign um, postgrad students as well, those that are in law programs, pursuing PhDs, uh, that kind of thing. And, you know, this is one of our most populous visas. Uh, prior to 2007, you know, the U.S. admitted less than 300,000 student visas per year. But that really changed in 2008 when they awarded over 340,000. Uh, and then it skyrocketed and peaked in 2015 where they awarded over 644,000 visas in one year on the, for just the F1 category. Mm -hmm. It, since then, you know, it has kind of gone back to that mid 300,000s. Uh, in 2018, um, the State Department admitted 363,000 F1 students. But it, like you said, Matthew, you brought up, it's it's a very popular visa. It's obviously the United States, particularly for you know college education, has some of the top-ranked schools in the world. So it makes sense that there would be a lot of people pursuing education here and who want to take advantage uh, of the F1. So let me ask you then, you know, this seems like in theory, a, a good program, you know, we're getting people from around the world who can bring, you know, just different skill sets, different experiences and, you know, help our country. But there are national security and economic concerns with this program the way it is now. What are some of these major concerns that our listeners should be aware of? Right. So there's really four main issues with the way that the F1 is currently applied today. The first is that it displaces American college graduates from post-grad jobs, uh, and particularly within the optional practical training program, which Spencer is going to be touching on later. Um, so I won't really go into that now. He can explain that. But, um, you know, this, this is kind of, it allows for all of these hundreds of thousands of students who are graduating to immediately enter the workforce. And, you know, often they do end up working either on, you know, an H1, uh, H1B visa, uh, or, you know, they're sponsored um, in some other capacity by their employer. Um, and that, you know, that does, that's a huge number of people entering the workforce on top of the millions of Americans that are graduating at the same mm -hmm. time. So, you know, that's, that's obviously a concern. Um, and then within the university itself, uh, you know, it, it, often ends up displacing qualified American students from universities. Universities have limited number of seats. They, they only give out you know, a certain number of, of offers of admission every year. And uh, you know, the universities have relied so much 
on international students um, for financial purposes because you know often international students don't qualify uh, for scholarship aid. They, they can't do federal student loans, that kind of thing. So you know these are they're paying full price, and you know the universities have started to to really admit huge numbers of foreign students as a way to to make money and to kind of offset particularly for public schools to offset the cost of you know having a lot of um, essentially discounted you know American students attending um, and then you know finally there are espionage concerns uh, especially students from Iran Russia and China you know whose governments are are really anti-american I, mean, I don't think anyone can credibly say that they aren't and so you know, you do, and this isn't to say that every student from right. Iran, Russia, or China is a, is a spy. You know, that's obviously absurd, but you do have to, you know, get a sense of, you know, why are so many Chinese students coming to the United States and then turning around and working for defense contractors and for, and for the Pentagon? And, and you know, you're kind of asking yourself, there has to be, someone has to look at this and say, this is not right. You know, why are we essentially educating the the next generation of our major geopolitical rivals. We didn't we didn't have hundreds of thousands of Soviet students during the Cold War who we, you know, embraced with open arms. And it's it's it is kind of silly to do that today. And I think again, we're not saying I don't think anyone is saying that these countries should be, you know, we shouldn't admit them as students, but I, I think you do have to to look and say should we monitor students from these countries more? You know, probably yes. Absolutely. And I think, so there are a lot of problems with, with this particular visa program. And, you know, I, I don't think the solution is to just end it or terminate it completely. I mean, there's ways to reform it to, you know, ensure that we can still keep the program afloat and also making sure that our interests are met. So what, what can we do as, as if you're the DHS or, or State Department, you know, are, are there kind of, some items that we can ask them to look at or explore in the, in the upcoming years. Yeah, I mean, there's a few things. Uh, the first is that you have to to limit the number of visas that are going to um, you know countries that are national security risks, um, and mm -hmm. that you know that obviously is is difficult because the majority of our international student, well, maybe not the majority, but certainly a plurality of international students do come from countries like uh, China uh, and Iran. So you really do need to to you know, limit the the number of visas going to students from these countries, and also limit into what what uh, degrees they're pursuing um, to an extent. Mm -hmm. um, that's not necessarily something that I think ICE can just wake up and start doing tomorrow. I think that would that requires probably years and years of policy. But there, there's just some other things you can do as well. One of the biggest things is that you have to eliminate visa mills. You know, these are pretty much fake universities that are used in order to, to facilitate people's entry to the United States. Um, David North from the Center for Immigration Studies has written uh, extensively on this topic, and he, he has done a great job of explaining why we have to get, you know, you have to crack down on fraudulent programs and fraudulent schools. And uh, to their credit, ICE has done a great job of this over the past couple of years. Um, they they have set up sting operations to kind of catch mm -hmm. people that are doing this. You have to applaud them for that uh, because the visa mills are just, that's outrageous. They're, you know, the people that are doing them are not here to study. They're just here to get into the United States. 
And then finally, you have to kind of do, you have to limit the period of time that they're, that the students are here for. And the Trump administration just announced recently a proposed rule where they're going to do this. They're going to limit the initial period of their stay to four years, um, as opposed to just being indefinite as long as they're in a program. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is, you know, this is a good thing. And um, we'll see if it makes it through the rulemaking process and if it um, holds up the you know against an inevitable court challenge, but um, I think it's it's certainly a step in the right direction. Great stuff as always, Preston. So Spencer, I want to kick it to you now. Many of these F one visa holders are eligible for the optional practical training program, also known as the OPT program that Preston uh, briefly touched on in his segment. But again, this OPT program has raised national security and economic concerns. Can you talk about the OPT program and? what it really is and how it originated? Yeah, absolutely, Matthew. You know, the optional practical training program, or as, as, as it's known as OPT, is basically a program where originally USCIS, USCIS allowed for undergraduate or graduate students who are in the United States on an F-1 student visa program to work for up to one year while still on their student visa in order to complement their education with work experience. Now, in 2008, still under the Bush administration, they put together a 17-month extension of the OPT program for students who were going to work or pursuing degrees in STEM fields. Of course, there was a lot of litigation surrounding this, and that ultimately led to a restructuring of the OPT program. And by 2016, they had actually expanded the amount of time that these people on student visas could work in the United States to 24 months on top of the original 12 months allowed in the program. So that meant that thousands, tens of thousands of students could now work in the United States for up to three years without a valid work permit. Now, Originally, I mean, the program was big, but not as big as it is today. In 2011, there were roughly 75,000 people working under the OPT program. Fast Mm -hmm. forward less than 10 years to 2018, that number has nearly tripled to more than 200,000 foreign-born individuals. And you count those who have used this as a stepping stone to other visa programs, that number is now well over 300,000. So it's growing at almost a an exponential rate, which is, Mm -hmm. you know, highly concerning for a number of reasons. First of all, you have the whole litany of issues that goes along with all the other temporary labor programs like the H-1B program. First of all, like Preston noted just a little bit ago, this is not diverse at all. The vast majority, nearly 75% of people who are taking advantage of this OPT program come from either China or India. Mm-hmm. And of course, many of those who come from China have been found to have to be basically operatives of the Communist Party of China. And a lot of them go work and, um, you know, play the Pentagon. They work for defense contractors and they work in other areas where they can observe our military secrets. They can steal our tech and send it back to China and, uh, you know, other commit other acts of espionage. Beyond that, it also discourages students from returning home because it gives them a false false sense of permanency in the United States, allowing them to stay for up to three years, pursue a career, and really get settled into the country when in reality their their student visa was supposed to have an expiration date where they finished their studies and went back to their country of origin. 
but it's also now displacing American workers at an alarming mm-hmm. rate. And because companies have become desperate to fire Americans and hire OPT workers. And the reason this is occurring is because companies that hire someone who is working under the OPT program get tax exemptions. For example, companies that hire OPT students don't have to pay Social Security or Medicare taxes on them. Hmm. If you think about it, that's an automatic savings of more than 7%, 7.65%. So if you assumed that an American would make the same wage as an OPT worker, and that's that's actually a very generous assumption. Right. Uh, and you assume that, you know, perhaps a, a new grad with, you know, a, a master's degree in a STEM field would make, you know, $75,000 a year somewhere in that neighborhood. That's a savings of nearly $6,000 a year for a company that decides to hire someone in the OPT program versus hiring a new American grad. Right. So unless you're talking about a country that has really strong morals and a very strong uh, higher American attitude, a company is going to choose hiring the OPT uh, worker every time. And that's making it difficult for American graduates to find work because they're automatically placed at a disadvantage. And because of that, this program needs to end. Plain and simple, there's no two ways about it. It's almost criminally unfair to new graduates, and obviously it's a massive incentive for companies to hire foreigners over Americans. You know, and especially in a time when um, new American graduates are facing a really uphill battle due to employment pressure thanks to the COVID pandemic, you would think that the federal government would be taking special care to make sure that American-born graduates would have access to jobs instead of offering to continue giving uh, companies tax breaks to hire foreigners. It really just, it makes no sense. And it's, I'd say borderline unethical, but it is unethical. (laughs) Right. I think this is a program that FAIR has long sought to end for many years now. And I, as you've listed, I mean, there's just too many concerns with it that does not put the country first and there's really no way to reform it other than eliminating it. So that is a great uh, rundown of the OPT program, Spencer. And I kind of want to kick it to myself, actually, uh, as someone who has watched and read a lot of the media surrounding the F1 visa and the OPT program. I just have to say that it's just simply not being highlighted enough. You know, there's this mainstream media narrative that uh, international students only bring advantages to the country and there are no concerns or there should never be any concerns. And, you know, there are without question advantages that the F1 visa can bring and international students can bring, but there are also concerns that need to be highlighted and not just diminished. Um, so I want to talk about a couple of stories that should have been highlighted in the media more, especially in the past year. I know we've kind of talked about the Chinese espionage concerns and it's not some crazy conspiracy theory or something that's not occurring. I mean, it really is occurring just this past year. The FBI, this is in July, actually, the FBI interviewed Chinese visa holders suspected of hiding their Chinese military memberships in 25 major American cities. And experts call this the largest crackdown in 40 years. In May, the State Department prepared to revoke visas of 3,000 Chinese students in the U.S., which was an all-time high because of national security concerns. Um, and even earlier this month, uh, the State Department canceled visas for more than 1,000 Chinese nationals due to uh, security risks. And again, you know, this is something that 
you would really have to study the immigration issue to understand that this is occurring. And even, you know, us looking at it daily, like it's still very minimally touched, but it is rampant. It is occurring. And I, I think it was you, Preston, who said, you know, roughly a third of the student visas granted annually are given to Chinese nationals. That's a large number. And, you know, not all these students are bad in any sense. I mean, there's definitely people that are positive for the country, but, you know, there are concerns about some pools of this population using uh, these visa programs or the OPT program in our country. Um, similarly, I remember there is another story, uh, again, completely not talked about enough, was when ICE attempted to, to suspend foreign visas to students attending universities. Um, it was for this fall semester due to COVID-19. And ICE already does not allow foreign students to take more than one online class because they don't want to have fraud and abuse occurring. And as soon as they said, hey, you know what, if you're taking, if your university is requiring you to take all your classes online, you should be doing it in your home country. There was a huge blow up over that. And, you know, this was not saying that ICE was ending their education or not doing something unprecedented. It was just highly misreported again. And again, this was something to protect the interests and the integrity of, of this student visa program. I mean, you would think that if, if we have students who are simply studying online entirely and not even have no requirement to be in person, then yeah, there's definitely potential to have some fraud and abuse with that. We talked about the visa mills as well. So I, I think that there can still be a lot more covered with this issue. Um, I'm glad that we're talking about it in this podcast. But again, it's something that there are legitimate concerns with the OPT program and the F1 visa program. And, you know, we, we talked about what we can do to reform it, what these concerns are. And, you know, I think that we still have a long way to go, unfortunately. But, you know, at least I think we can all come to the agreement that, you know, it's by no means a, a perfect program at the moment. Right. And it's very similar to, you know, that's how many of our immigration programs are, unfortunately, is that, you know, I don't think anyone's calling for a complete end to any immigration, but there, there, when it's, it's so, so massive and we have so many different visas doing so many different things. And you know, there's a long way to go to, to make sure that they work, you know, for the American people instead of against them. And at the very least, I mean, you want to see programs enacted that offer American citizens a fair shot to compete with those that are being brought into the United States on work visas. You don't want to see companies get tax breaks if they hire a foreign-born graduate versus someone that was born in the United States. You don't want to see companies be allowed to hire H-1B workers where they can hire them at a, at a far below market wage and essentially tie their visa to staying employed at that company. You know, and Again, like Preston said, it's not that you know, we're looking to end all of these programs and end immigration. We want to see a system that, first of all, protects the American worker, protects the American economy, and makes it better. And right now what we have is something that harms the economy and harms American workers. And that's just not fair. And it's, and it's honestly nonsensical. Right. And I, I think that even with the the ICE story I, I brought up about them potentially suspending the foreign visas for students attending fall classes, the Trump administration actually walked back on that because of the pressure from the business lobby and the university lobby. These universities thrive off of international students and their, and their full tuition price. 
their uh, payments for dining and housing on campus. So, you know, it goes to show you that this is a tough fight and a there will always be this lobby vouching for more foreign students or workers or, or what have you. And it just undermines the American interests. All right. Well, that's all the time that we have for today. We hope that everyone enjoyed today's episode and learned something new about the impact of foreign student visas on our country. You know, while these programs can bring advantages, there are still some major concerns that call for major reform. If you liked today's episode, please subscribe to the series on any of our platforms, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. Um, you can also visit our website at fairus.org to access these episodes. And um, on Twitter, we place them all the time there. And our Twitter handle for that is at Fair Immigration. Uh, as a personal favor to all three of us, we ask that you share this podcast with your friends and family. We're trying to make this grow as much as possible. Uh, and this is episode 17. And we just appreciate the help. But until next time, this has been Understanding Immigration presented by Fair.